This is Cambridge Judge Business School's online knowledge centre, with expert commentary, analysis, and insights into the issues of the day. John Maynard Keynes died in 1946, and only today, 66 years later, has there been a detailed analysis of his investment performance, which shows that the renowned economist was also a great investor. Through research over several years, Dr. David Chambers of Cambridge Judge Business School and Professor Elroy Dimson of the London Business School carefully pieced together Keynes' portfolios and reconstructed his investment track record. The returns were extraordinary, and the way in which Keynes achieved them remarkable. Between 1924 and 1946, in addition to writing many books and overhauling the global monetary system, Keynes also ran the endowment fund of King's College. During that period, he outperformed the UK stock market by an average of eight percentage points annually. At one stage in researching the King's College archives, David Chambers began to doubt that he'd find the information he needed. His eureka moment came though when he opened one volume to find portfolios and detailed lists of transactions. What we found was a, a rich seam of material, and the interesting thing is that the the popular consensus that has grown up around Keynes is that he was a fantastic investor. Well, whilst we have not exploded that story, so our overall conclusion is that he performed very well for his college. It is a, a more nuanced story、uh, than this popular view that previously existed, and that is because in the early years. So, roughly speaking, from 1924 up until the early 1930s, he didn't do as well as he thought he probably should have done, and for, actually, for a period of several years, he lagged the the market. His real success came out of the Great Depression, didn't it, in the 1930s? In a way, that's correct. So he he struggled in the in the late 1920s, and in particular, he'd adopted a style of investing which today we call a top-down approach. So he thought that he had, as an economist and someone who was a a big consumer of economic and industrial statistics, he thought he could predict the business cycle effectively, and therefore he would know when to be in the stock market and when to come out of the stock market and be in cash or in Bonds. He failed to pick the sharp decline in the London market, along with Wall Street, in 1929, which was the, that was the onset then of the Great Depression in the United States. So that was a great disappointment to him. It was then in the early 1930s that he completely switched away from this top-down approach to more of what we call a, a bottom-up approach, that's practiced by someone like Warren Buffett. Keynes, like Buffett, would pick those companies that he really liked, those stocks he really liked. He called them his pets, by the way. He'd pick his pets, and then he would hold on to those through thick and thin, through the ups and downs of the market. That is what served him so well through、uh, through the 1930s and up to his his death in 1946. You make the point that there have been many great investors, and including Warren Buffett, who you just mentioned, but they didn't have to deal with the 1930s and the Great Depression or the two world wars, especially World War Two. So, so how did Keynes survive all that? He moved to this new bottom-up approach where he he bought and he held on to his stocks, and therefore he he didn't worry. When the market was going down and and these stocks that he was holding, their prices were going down. He he tried not to worry too much about them. He knew that they were good companies, 
So, for example, in 1937-38, there was a very sharp fall in both the London and the US markets. Again, uh, at the beginning of World War II, the markets sold off very, very sharply. Uh, and the prices of these stocks that he liked were, were falling, but he, he held on. In some cases, he bought more of these companies. He was able to do that because uh, he was running money for his college. His fellows trusted him. And he, he had a, a particular organizational setup, which I think was very conducive to the way that he was running money. Today, it's not always easy to be able to achieve those sorts of things because you are surrounded by other investment managers or other people on the investment committee who can sometimes take a very critical view of what you're doing. And in fact, Keynes ran money for himself, for his college, as well as one or two other investment institutions, including uh, a fairly large insurance company where he was a chairman. And he resigned from that position in 1938 because he could no longer stand the... Uh, the criticism uh, that he was receiving from other members on the board. You've mentioned King's College, and you say that the board there gave him carte blanche. I mean, that wouldn't happen today, would it? It would be somewhat unusual, although what you must remember is that uh, Keynes's interests, economists like to talk about incentives, so Keynes's incentives were highly aligned with those of his college. His interests were very much those of, of growing the wealth of the college and the size of the fund. And, they, and therefore, the other members of the uh, college, the college fellows and the investment committee did trust him. And you would find that situation exists in some institutions today. Uh, however, I think what is different is, is today, it's likely that there would be other experts who sit on an investment committee who, who possibly from what I can understand, probably did not, uh, were not sitting on uh, the investment committee in Keynes's time. In fact, it is said that Keynes uh, disliked having anyone with a law degree or anyone who had, was in touching distance of the legal profession uh, sitting on the investment committee at all. He was very, very successful, but did he achieve it in the proper way? Was there any impropriety involved there? I think you're hinting at the fact of whether or not he was uh, he might have traded on what today we call inside information. I think it's very difficult, going back to that era, to define what inside information is. There were no insider trading rules. However, I would, I'd say a couple of things. One is there's no, absolutely no doubt that at certain times... Because of his extensive social network and he, because he had such good contacts, there were times that he would have been in receipt of, of should we say, good information or semi-private information that he would have been able to, to trade on. I think he had a, a quite a high moral view of the way that uh, you should invest. Uh, and I think he would have disagreed with an insider trading type of strategy from uh, on moral grounds. He just didn't think it was the right way to play the game. You've got massive experience of asset management. Is, is the, the Keynesian model one that you would recommend to follow? The way that he invested uh, in the second half of his investment career, I think, is one that has an awful lot of merit, yes. Part of the problem with his early, this so-called top-down approach, where he was moving in and out of markets, there are two problems with that. One is that... It, you incur an awful lot of transaction costs, commissions and other costs of trading when you're pursuing that type of approach, and that eats into your returns. The other problem you have is 
obviously you have to be absolutely right in your timing of when you move in and out. And those are, those are not always easy things uh, to be able to do. If he was alive today and, and you've in a way got underneath the skin of Keynes, what would he think of the current global situation and, and the way out of it? There are two things that occur to me. One is that, of course, his big insight in the 1930s when he wrote the general theory was that he realised that there was nothing automatic about the ability of an economy to recover from a shock such as the the Great Depression in the United States and that it's possible in the absence of sufficient demand for an economy to get locked into this very sort of low-activity equilibrium. So I think the thing that would worry him most today in the developed world is still the lack of demand, of aggregate demand that's out there from consumers and also from firms in terms of investing. And so all his focus would be, I think, on thinking of ways to try and stimulate aggregate demand to get the economy moving. The other thing I think that really would have deeply concerned him is the behaviour of, uh, of some financial institutions through the last financial crisis. As I said, he, he, had, he had quite a high uh, moral view of the way that uh, this business should be conducted. In many ways, he regarded investment as what he called a very low pursuit. And I think he would have been somewhat, uh, somewhat appalled at some of the things that, uh, that have taken place. Uh, and I think he, his, he would very much be on the tracks of, well, how do we try and improve uh, institutional behaviour and how do we make sure that uh, things such as this last financial crisis do not occur again. Final point, what would he be saying to George Osborne? What would his advice be? I think he'd be saying to George Osborne, don't just think about uh, balancing the books. Think about how in the uh, next one or two years you can really try and stimulate the economy, but do it in ways that are not going to compromise our ability to still pursue this path of fiscal rectitude in the medium term, but really think about innovative ways that you can get people spending money and companies investing. David Chambers, thank you. This programme was produced by the Cambridge Judge Business School as part of its online broadcast series. Thank you.